Hey, this is Steve Garcia, and you're listening to Interview Under Fire. All right, everyone, Sunny back here on Interview Under Fire on episode two of Deep Cuts, where we dive behind the stage pretty much on everything happening that does not involve the actual musician per se. Today, I have a seasoned tour manager in Steve Garcia. He's worked with Amon Amarth, Death Angel, Cradle of Filth, Graveyard, Ginger, even Devil Driver. And I have had the honor to personally know Steve and see how professional and hardworking he is at his job. He has a very dedicated work ethic, and it's by no accident that he's managed those bands I just mentioned, and they're some of my favorite artists. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for joining our podcast today on IUF. I'm going to ask the most important question that's been overlooked in the last few months. How are you? Because <laughs> I know it's been a very interesting time for all of us, you know, just in just any part of the world we're in. But how are you holding up and how's how's life in Texas right now for you? That's definitely an interesting question and a hard one to answer for a lot of people, I would say. Um, for me, I think I'm actually doing better than most people. Um, I'm not in a panic mode. I actually have like a different source of income that I started doing this year. And as much as I love touring, I like being home as well. So <laughs> I'm not in any kind of panic mode, um, mainly because I can't really change anything about what's going on right now. You know, I mean, all I can do is wait to go back to touring. And I know, I think more people should just accept that because uh, when you do, I think you'd be able, you're able to enjoy this time that you have at home more than you would be complaining or wondering what you're going to do. And so I'm actually doing fine, man. Like uh, I would love to get back to touring as soon as possible, but I'm not in any rush at the same time because I'm starting working on another business that I'm, uh, that's working out great for me. And I think I'm going to be fine. You know, even if it takes two years before we even get back to touring. And normally I'm interviewing people in bands and all my listeners know what they do. So I know this isn't something that you do often, but I think it's important for music fans to be able to hear your story. We all hear albums and go to shows, but there are people like you who are crucial to the industry. And most of us fans are pretty clueless on how that stuff gets to us. So yeah. for starters, you know, tell me about your job. How would you explain what a tour manager does to someone who doesn't know a whole lot about the industry? Yeah, that's always hard to put into simplified terms or a few words, but mainly it's a lot of logistics and you're basically the main point of contact for anything that goes on on this tour or for whatever band you were in charge of. And if you're the head TM, you know, for the headliner, um, there's even more questions and more people coming after you for uh, information. But basically you're there to make sure that everything that the booking agents and management and the band have put in place, you're there to make sure they happen. You know, they put together this run of tour dates, with these interviews, uh, this press schedule, you know, uh, this day off schedule, all that kind of stuff. You're there to make sure that happens and basically troubleshoot anything that, that comes along the way. So it's a lot of uh, problem solving. Some people might even call it babysitting, <laughs> but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, you're kind of just, uh, you gotta be flexible too. You know, I mean, you're a tour manager, but there's never a time where you should be like, you know, that's not my job type thing. You're basically the point of contact for almost anything on the tour. It's almost like something that no one can teach you. It's something you just kind of just 
learn yourself as you go through the industry, correct? Yeah, there, there's not really any kind of, uh, it's one of those, there's no way to train for it or anything. If it's hands-on, man, the more experience uh, you have dealing with certain issues, the that's the only way you're going to figure it out. You know, there's just, you won't know how to do it until you come across that problem, you know? So pretty much every tour you do and every experience you have, believe it or not, is teaching you more than you can imagine. How did you get into tour managing in the first place? Did you have any other behind the scenes jobs before that? No, nothing, man. So whenever I got uh, my first TM gig, to be honest, I barely even knew what a tour manager was. I mean, that's being <laughs> like blatantly obvious. I mean, like, uh, who was it? Just curious. Uh, it was uh, some uh, um, friends of mine named Shattered Sun. They're from Corpus hey, Christi, actually. great band. I love yeah. that band. Great band. I have you interviewed them or toured with no. I mean, uh, too many tours they've done? Uh, so last time I saw them, they were actually opening for, I believe it was Anthrax or Testament. Oh, yeah. They did uh, Testament, Anthrax, uh, at Gas Monkey. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That, that was, was the last time I saw them. Yeah. Great group of guys. I haven't had a chance. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll get a chance to interview them sometime soon. But that's, that's, right. a, that's, a, pretty, that's a pretty good start for you right there. Yeah. So, I mean, I used to be in – Shattered Sun in 2005. I mean, that's how long that band's been around. The band's been around since 2003, I believe. Um, but I mean, they're, I mean, we, we grew up in a small town uh, about an hour away from Corpus Christi. And, um, you know, I left, I left that town as soon as I graduated high school. I left, the band kept going. And uh, I was, I never had plans to do music for my career. I didn't really have any direction, to be honest, whenever I left. Mm -hmm. But anyway, the band kept going. Um, I've got a day job. I'm working. I used to work at Costco. Um, I worked at Costco for seven years. So um, ended up hating the job. Great pay and great benefits and everything. But when you're working a job that you don't want to, you're just miserable. I mean, the, the pay doesn't really matter. You know, you're just you're not focused on getting paid. You're just yeah, your happiness has become your at some point it just starts to suffer, you know. So anyway, I so the band is, is in progress this whole time of trying to get, get a record label and do all this sorts of stuff. In 2014, um, John Zazula, who is known for uh, managing Metallica, bringing Metallica up uh, in the 80s, and uh, Chuck Billy from Testament, yeah. and Maria Ferrero, who's also done... Um, she's awesome. Yeah, she's done, she does PR and stuff. So anyway, they, they started this management company. Um, they signed Shattered Sun. They're starting to look for a record label. All of a sudden, things get exciting, and I'm still working at Costco. And I'm like, man, like this is starting to like freak me out a bit because I'm just like Chuck Billy's in, you know, in Corpus Christi, and we're hanging out with them, and it's just, just weird, you know. Like so, anyway, to try to cut down most of that stuff, you know, um, they eventually signed with Victory Records, um, which they're no longer with anymore, but. Um, they get their first tour ever with uh, Testament, Exodus, Shattered Sun. So what I do is I take some time off of work. I think it took maybe like 10 days because the way the routing worked was, I mean, the band's from Texas. So obviously I was like, well, I'll just jump in the van and ride with you guys to LA. Um, we did like San Francisco, LA, some Arizona shows, New Mexico. And I was like, it'll just work out perfectly because like five days into the tour or six days into the tour, it ends in San Antonio or I mean, we stopped in San Antonio and I can jump off. You guys can keep going. So I basically took a vacation from work and did some like videography stuff. I was just basically, I didn't get paid, went for free, just kind of wanted to always see that behind the, behind the scenes stuff. So uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to take this opportunity and uh, 
go on a tour, you know, even if it's for like a few days. So I went and did that. And I remember the moment where they dropped me off and they finished the San Antonio show. And like, I had to go to work the next morning at 5 a.m. And I was like, this sucks, dude. Like this, that, that was like a very like important moment. And they were honestly like trying to convince me, like they were like, dude, just quit your job. Like, come on, like, just let's just finish the tour. And I was like, you know, I, I, I can't just do that. <laughs> like, I mean, I, as much as I wanted yeah. to, that wouldn't make sense. I would, I mean, that's thinking, that's not thinking very smart, I guess, you know I mean? To just basically not come back to work. I mean, I was getting paid pretty good and um, I had been there for a long time. You know, if for some reason this touring thing didn't work out, I mean, I would just lose the job that I had for seven years, uh, work so hard to, to keep and get, you know, great pay and all that stuff. So, um, they just continued on the tour and I went home and was miserable and, uh, just hated, you know, every part of the next few weeks because that tour was another three weeks long and they were on it. And I was at home working my job at 5 a.m. every morning. I had to be there at 5 a.m. And um, they were sending me. I remember another thing that like really just sealed the deal for me was they did a festival called Welcome to Rockville in Florida. And um, it's just a ton of bands. And they were side stage for Korn's like 20th anniversary of their first album. And they're sending me videos of like side stage and backstage and hanging with everybody. And I'm just like, dude, you guys yeah. like, they didn't, they didn't mean to throw it in my face, but like they were trying to show me like, dude, like you're missing out. Like you need to get out here type thing, you know? It almost puts and, things uh, in uh under me to cut you off there, but it's, it's putting things in a perspective where you didn't even expect, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You could do this, do this gig for a little bit and then I could just go back to normal life or, you know, right. or, yeah. whatever I mean, you want to call was it kind of gonna go to change and the thing is that they had um uh so they had a, a tour manager who was really he was an audio engineer and a lot of the times on these smaller tours first of all bands never really have crew but a friend of ours was doing audio and they were like well someone's got a tour manager so it might as well be you you know like so they kind of forced him into it he hated it he's an audio guy he doesn't like to do it so um he was the one that was tour managing on that testament tour um and then come around to, they were sending me also videos like the drummer, Tom Hunting from Exodus had a birthday. They got, eventually got invited onto the tour bus and they're just having this massive party, you know, with Exodus and Testament. And I'm just like, dude, like, I'm not even the biggest like thrash fan because I didn't grow up on those bands, but still like, I mean, them being on the bus and doing all this stuff really just ate away at me. So uh, the next tour comes around, they finished that tour few months later they get a, uh, an offer to do mayhem fest and maybe like a month what year weeks. what year is this uh 2015 2015 yeah did i even i think i went to that show i'm not so this sure was I... the last last mayhem fest that ever happened yeah. um and it was uh like sister sin jungle rot white chapel shattered sun kissing candace that was all second stage uh main stage was slayer king diamond hell yeah and uh devil wars prada I think we interviewed Kissing Candace on that on that tour. I'm not sure, but yeah, Kissing Candace became, is on our roster. Yeah, we actually became really good friends with Kissing Candace the most, and still to this day are like really good friends with them. And yeah, great guys. Uh, yeah, we've just always kept in contact with them. But I mean, to answer your question, that was like five minutes ago. <laughs> but like, it's like a long <laughs> story good. to get there, you know. But um, what happened was, you know, that that my point is that like that's kind of that's all part of what convinced me to to make the decision, you know, because when it came time, um, a few months later, you know, they were like, Hey, we're going to do Mayhem Fest. Rob doesn't really like tour managing. 
do you want to be a, our tour manager? And I was like, well, I kind of know what the job is, but I'm not really 100% sure. Um, I thought about it. And then the decision time came and I was just like, you know what, man, like I have some money saved up. I'm absolutely miserable. I mean, I'm talking like out of, I mean, 200 people work at Costco and I probably actually liked five of those people, maybe, you know, because like, I mean, when you just hate a job that much and you just hate management and you just hate things, I mean, you just like, dude, like, I just want to get out of here, you know? So it was a time where it was like, things just kind of fell together. I mean, I, you know, always wanted to do something like that. Never thought I would. I took the opportunity. And um, from there, it's just, I mean, I literally worked my last day at Costco. I used to go in at 5 a.m. I got out at 1 p.m. The band met me at my house. So I finished my shift, clocked out. That was my last day of work. Drove to my house, loaded up the van and started driving to California. Not even an hour later. I mean, we took off, man. And that was basically the transition happened within an, an hour to, you know, from one job to the other, just like that, man. Bro, that's just a liberating story right there. I can, <laughs> I can actually, I can testify to that because, you know, I don't want to make this about, you know, I want to make this completely about you, but you know, this, when I went to film school for three years, I got laid off my job. You know, I, I, I like I had nothing, you know, I wasn't going to school at that time and I didn't know what to do. And I kind of just yeah. took, I just took a, the, a leap that I would never thought I would take went out to California, did the, did a three-year stint out there, like meeting so many people, like in the business, making so many connections. And it's one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, and I was working a 95 job before all that, you know, and I can, I mean, that's the feeling you got. I'm I'm assuming like just the liberating, almost feel like a burden off of your shoulders. You're doing like, this is your calling card, exactly what you want to be doing. Right. Yeah. And, and to to be honest, it wasn't just like as easy as I made it sound. I mean, I went, I went broke until about the end of 2017, maybe even the beginning of 2018. So between 15 and 18, I mean, I was not doing that many tours. It was like, you know, okay, you've done this tour with this band, but trying to get another tour with another band was a whole other story. And they're going to be like, well, where's your resume? What have you done? And it's like, um, I have done one tour, you know, maybe two tours, (laughs) you know? So it was like, it was really hard to get another tour. And so, yeah, I mean, until really until twenty seven mid-2017 is when it started to take off again. And I was getting a lot of tours, still wasn't getting paid a lot. So it was like, well, at least I'm getting experience, but I'm not getting paid a lot. So it was a really, really rough, you know, transition. But while you're out there, it's like, well, this is awesome. <laughs> who gets in touch when it comes to hiring someone for a tour? Do you get in touch with them or who gets in touch with you? How does that come out when it comes to picking out a tour manager to, because this is a, big responsibility you know and the fact that and and i've already called out some of the bigger bands out there i'm on a mark like you you manage them you get to say that you get to say you manage cradle of field you get to say you manage ginger devil driver do who reaches out to you how does that process work so it just depends on um on every band's different especially the level of the band if it's a smaller band um you know like a club size band it's typically Mm -hmm. actually one of the band members like uh, like Death Angel, uh, Ted is the one that just uh, hit okay. me up. I mean, he kind of knew me already or knew of me. We had done a tour together, but I wasn't working directly with them. So depending on the band, depending on who their main people are, if they're self-managed, if they're managed by a company, um, that that can that goes a long way. Typically, I would say it's management for bigger bands. 
but it could be anybody, you know, but either way, it's all, a lot of it's word of mouth, you know, so you might hear of a tour and you know, somebody who knows somebody or they need somebody and they reach out to you or you reach out to them and you're like, Hey, like I, I've done that before with overkill. You know, I knew the guy whose name's Nick. I was like, I see overkill's doing the tour. I need a tour. You've done merch for them before. I see you're not really doing merch for them. Like, is it cool if you maybe see if they need somebody? And uh, he was like, absolutely. And he was like, the guy knows me, but not doesn't know me that well. And he put my name in and I got the gig and that's just how it went. And then there's gigs where um, somebody reaches out to you and is like, are you available October this to November that? And uh, either you are or you aren't, you know? So it, yeah. it goes both ways. But at this point, um, I would say it's more so like people come to you and it's typically more so than anything. It's other crew members coming to you because they got an offer. They can't do it. And they're offering it to you type thing, you know? Oh, and, and to clarify, uh, Amon Marth, I, I just did merch. I would love to manage them, but uh, Bro, that's, that's still experience. And you, oh, absolutely. you, you gained and that, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's the best tour I've done to this day. And um, that's the most taken care of I've ever been uh, to the point where I was like, I'm not sure I should be here because this is like next level type stuff, you know? I wouldn't even go there. I mean, you have such a strong resume at this point. You could just get any band you want at this. You know, I think I think the hard work that you've already put into the last four or five years that we just covered, I think that's, that just shows dedication to what you want to do. And I think it's it's challenging, but you've shown that you actually have dedication to your craft. And Yeah, thank I you, think, man. I and yeah, when you, were, when you were listening off the bands, I was kind of like, Man, I mean, I forgot about some of these tours I already did. You know, it doesn't sound like that's me, you know? So, yeah, it's kind of crazy to think. Well, let me ask you this. What was your favorite part about touring? Now that we kind of just covered that entire realm, you know, there's there's culture, there's fans, there's food. Now you kind of just taken like an unseen step back. It doesn't yeah. make you have a growing appreciation for the tour life, you know? Yeah, I would say my favorite part about touring, I've always said, is, is like the people you meet, you know? I mean... uh Definitely. Not only would it be it wouldn't be possible without them, you know, whether it be the band or the crew or the management or the booking agents. I mean, you get to know all sorts of different type of people. And then I can't even tell you how many different people I know from different countries. You know, I mean, yeah. people that barely speak English, people that know five different languages, people from Austria, from Czech Republic, you know, anywhere. I mean, uh, Italy, you know, and like you just you just it's really like nerve-wracking when you're first getting into this and you're meeting somebody from Italy for the first time dudes barely speaks English and like uh you know he's working for an Austrian band and you know but by the end it's just like you already have your inside jokes by the end of the tour you know so I would say <laughs> there like, you go. it's the people it's definitely the people dude I mean it, it's it's just wouldn't be possible and you end up living with these people from anywhere from two to six weeks or eight weeks and uh you have to really learn how to adapt really fast. And it just takes a certain kind of person to do this kind of work. Hey, we met and that's, and we're buds now. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is definitely about the people you meet and, and you can talk about whatever you want to know, like whatever education you got, which is, you know, education is important, but I'm just saying like when it comes to the people, you know, I think that just surpasses everything when it comes to making it in the industry, you can, right. Whatever you want, but the relationships and the experiences and the contacts and the way you represent yourself. And yeah. I saw that when I first met you and the way you just handle that entire, I got there, I think what, five hours before the show. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're, you're like, wait, what are you doing here so early? And you know, I just saw like how, how it was ran from behind the scenes and, you know, and 
and, you know, meeting you was probably, I think I, you're probably like the 20th tour manager I've met. I met so many tour managers and you, you, you're one of the ones yeah. that are up there and it was really interesting and just very insightful to see on how you just handled that whole thing. And, and I've awesome. said this before, I don't mean sound like a broken record, but it is a tough business and you've made your way in it. Yeah. And the thing about it too, is that like, you know, like how I was talking about how the people you meet, I mean, I've met, a, there's only a couple that, that really care to help you. Cause whenever you get into this, mm -hmm. you really don't know kind of what the hell you're doing for, you know, you're going to figure it out eventually, but there's a couple of people that will help you along the way and really teach you and answer questions whenever you have them, you know? And then um, a lot of the times I didn't know, it was really hard for me to decide or to figure out like what I was doing right or wrong because um, I wasn't, I was the tour manager a lot. And I was like, how do I keep ended up being the tour manager on all these tours? And I'm the head tour manager, like tour managing the headliner, having to deal with support bands. And I was like, dude, I, sometimes I, I didn't even know what I was doing, but you know, it's like, so am I doing this right? Or am I doing this wrong? But people just kept saying, you're doing a good job, man. You're our favorite tour manager. We would love to have you back. So I was like, I gotta be doing something right, man. So I just kept doing what I was doing. And I was like, it's obviously working because I'm still getting gigs to this day. So that's just the way I kind of judged off of how well I was doing, what kind of work ethic I had. You know, this kind of just branches into this next question that I had, because I wanted to ask if you get time to yourself, even when you're on the road, because I feel like when you're on the road as a tour manager, you're constantly, you're constantly around people. That's number one. Number two, yeah. I think you're, you're always having to, when you wake up, I feel like you have to, do you have to constantly like, you have to, okay, I have to engage with this person. I have to make this call. I have to do this, 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 this. Yeah. I mean, do you ever get a chance to, you know, exhale when you're on the well, road? Well, that's the thing about being on the road is like, you don't wrap things up until at the earliest the show ends at 11 PM, you know, plus you got to add about two to two and a half hours for loadout settlement all that kind of stuff. So you're looking at 1 a.m., maybe at the absolute earliest that you're done for the day. And the thing about touring is like, I mean, you're, you know, you put in a lot of hours. I mean, some of these tours, you're waking up at 10 a.m., going to sleep at 2 or 3 a.m., you know? I mean, um, so that's just a long day. And, um, you know, the really the time you get to yourself, like, you know, on that tour I met you on, I was doing merch and tour managing, which for a support band, it's a lot easier but you're still busy. I mean, I got to go set up merch yeah. and I got to go do TM stuff all on top of that. But you know, the time you get to yourself is basically after you're done loading out and you're, you want to lay in your bunk or you want to go to the back lounge, watch a movie, eat a sandwich or do whatever you want to do. But on days off, man, I'm personally the kind of guy that I like to be by myself. I don't care if I go eat by myself, go to the mall by myself. I like to be by myself and it's nothing against anybody else. Depending on the tour, I might pick, one or two people that I click with a lot better and we're like okay dude on the day off let's go have dinner at whatever but if they don't want to I'm fine with it too I personally just like to be by myself because like you said you're just around people all the time these tours are typically on average about four to five weeks so yeah anytime you can get to yourself is awesome and that's why that Amana Marth tour was was awesome because we actually all got our own hotel rooms on every day off and that's just something that I'm not used <laughs> that's to awesome. Yeah. And I was like, but at the same time, it was almost too lonely because it was like <laughs> everybody went to their room and never saw each other. So like, and we had a lot of days off, like I'm on a Marth was like very cushioned. So like it was two shows day off or three shows day off. So we had two to three days off a week and you're just isolated in your hotel room, which I love. 
but it was weird too. It was just like, this is strange, man. Like I haven't seen anybody for like, I don't know, like 18 <laughs> hours or something. Yeah. Was this the tour? Was this the Lamb of God tour? That Omar this was uh, that I did with the Mon Marth. Yeah, because I know was, they, uh, I know they, the headliner. Uh, they supported Lamb of God last Arch year. Yeah, Mon Marth, Arch Enemy, uh, At the Gates, and uh, Grand Magus is the one I did. So this was okay. at the end of last year. Yeah, like uh, October last year, I believe. Yeah, it was a headliner that they did in the U.S. with support from Arch Enemy and At the Gates. Man, so we've touched on a lot of topics already, depend, you know, just from your experience as a tour manager. Now that you're home, you know, does this pandemic, does this open up new things for you personally and professionally that you may have not noticed before about yourself? As far as like personality-wise or anything? Or Just what do you mean? Anything in general, <laughs> like you discovered, you know? Uh, uh, well, for example, you know, we've had artists who say, oh, I've taken up cooking, you know? Maybe I'll go Instagram oh, live with the fans. Just just a new way to engage with the fans, you know? <laughs> art, that's another, you know? I never thought oh, that see, yeah. like, some artists would be cooking, some artists would be doing art, reading, you know? Like, what's yeah. on the menu today on Steven, you know? Like, just, just something right. like that. No, I mean, I... Actually, honestly, first of all, I just started gaming a lot more. There you go. Hey, <laughs> that that's that's thing. also that's also. So, yeah, I mean, I, I used to not game at all because I mean, the last game I played was like Red Dead Redemption before I did the Cradle Tour in like a year ago, you know. And like I played that game for ten hours a day, um, almost every day. I mean, I was addicted to that game, and then I just I couldn't get into gaming because I was you know home for three weeks, and then uh, I was touring again, you know. So I never really picked up gaming, but um, I started playing video games again, but more importantly, I started um, reselling, you know, so reselling uh, on eBay was something I was going to do already um, because for, for years, I mean, I've been doing this for five years. Um, I've always been looking for something to do in between tours, you know, find a job. And, of course. But, but it's really hard. It's almost nearly impossible for somebody to find a job that's going to let you leave for four to six weeks, three or four times a year, and then come back whenever you please. You know, typically people find like a bartending job or bar back job or like a serving job that they've been at for years and they have no problem with them because they know they're worth it or whatever. But it's really hard for somebody to walk into a job and say like, hey, can I have a job? But I'm also going to need like half the year off, if not more. <laughs> so that I tried that for many times. I mean, whenever I wasn't getting a lot of tours, I actually had to get jobs and quit. But I mean, sometimes I'd have the job for six months because it was that long before tours and I just I had to make money, you know, so I did that. But um, early this year, I started watching YouTube. All I do is watch YouTube now, but I came across this video of this guy reselling on eBay, talking about how he does this stuff. And I was like, damn, like I watched his videos for maybe three or four weeks before I actually started doing it. And then I was like, I'm going to give this a shot. I've already been using eBay for 10 years. Might as well just start like heavily using it. So I was like, this is going to be perfect. Cause I can, you know, sell stuff when I'm home, go on tour, come back, sell stuff when I'm home again. Um, but since this happened, believe it or not, like whenever I was about to go on that, um, Opeth graveyard tour, yeah, I was so into the reselling business that I was like, I'm not in tour mode right now. Like I'm not even prepared mentally. I, I just don't have my, my stuff together. I'm just not like, uh, not in the right mindset, you know, I was more like I had just made this big purchase buying like all these bulk items and I wanted to I just wanted to start reselling 
had to, I had to get a storage unit, put it away, and then just kind of come back to it later. So I did that tour. When we came back from that, I was set to go on another tour uh, with the band Blue October, and I was still... I remember that. I was, yeah, I was starting to get more into into in, back into touring again, like my mindset, but it wasn't really hard to switch gears. Like once the tour got canceled, I was like, well, I'm just going to continue doing my reselling business. And um, it actually kind of gave me the opportunity to grow it a lot faster um, because I have more time together. Like all at once, I have a string of months together where I can figure stuff out, get things going, uh, get things sorted, try different things rather than do a tour, try to resell for three weeks then do a tour, try to resell for a week, you know? So I'm actually like, that's why I said earlier, I'm not really um, that bothered by it. Of course I love touring, but I was trying to get this business going um, at the same time anyway. So it's kind of like, well, by the time we get back to touring, this business will probably be way bigger than it is right now. You know, and right now it's doing more. I'm, I'm more than capable of surviving on, on the income it's bringing me. So I can only imagine what it's going to be like, you know, even a year from now. Are you going to be able to pick back up right where you left off when bands start playing again? Because how does this work when it comes to tour managing, you know? Because well, there, well, there were tours that were just cut short. And right. I, I wonder how, I mean, I, can, I can't imagine the toll that a tour manager would have, you know, having to just cut everything off and then everybody has to go home. Just, you know, of course, because of the safety. But right. how is that like? That, yeah, that's the thing too, is like nobody really knows and everyone's kind of ha has, everyone kind of has the same questions and we're all wondering, you know, there's another uh, booking agent friend of mine that I talked to and I'm like, this could go like one of two ways. I mean, this could go the route where people are like, you could be getting all the opportunities in the world, but they're like, you know, um, you know, because of the, what happened, we're going to have to ask you to take, you know, half the pay, you know, it could go that route. Or at the same time, I don't know, I could get a call from Five Finger Death Punch and they're going to be like, dude, our guy quit. He didn't want to wait for the pandemic to end. So do you want to freaking be a, a personal assistant or something? Who knows? I mean, like, there's no telling, you know, I mean, all the gigs that I had lined up, I don't know if they're going to call me back. I would assume yes. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be like so flooded with positions that like you're going to get any opportunity you want or if it's going to be like, we're actually going to cut down on crew and we're going to do skeleton crew and have three guys do everything. So there's no telling. I mean, I, I think with some, I'm in, I'm pretty good standing with where they'd call me back, but I can't say, man, I mean, the more this goes on, the further things get pushed back. I would say people have to keep adapting to that. Do you keep in touch with the other tour managers in the business? Um, not like on a daily basis or anything. A lot of it's through, just Facebook and stuff, you know, I mean, it's not like I don't like them or anything. We just don't really, right, right. I mean, everybody lives all, all over the country. I, I saw that a lot of people were doing these zoom things where it's like 20 <laughs> people on one screen. Do uh, one with all the tour managers. <laughs> yeah. They were doing crazy stuff. Like, can that. you imagine? I, like, it, I mean, I didn't get asked to do one of those. Honestly, like, I don't know if I, I mean, I would, but I don't know if I'd enjoy it. Cause that's like just so many people I get like, crazy like anxiety and i'm like i don't know it's just weird but there we have understandable of people you know and it's like yeah like a screen full of like 20 people so people were keeping in touch like that but um there's just yeah a certain aspect of the way things are done i mean every now and then i'll message somebody and just ask how they're doing but we're all going through the same crap right now you know 
Another thing that's been a popular topic among the show is, and you've seen this live streaming, and we talked about it, you know, a lot of the artists and we just tour managers doing the whole Zoom thing, artists going on Instagram Live, Facebook Live, whatever they're doing to engage with the fans. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, because you've had so much exposure within touring and you've seen how bands, their interaction with the fans, just the culture within itself. Do you think the quarantine-induced live streaming surge that we're seeing now, do you think that's going to affect the touring musician business going forward? Do you still see bands doing this even after all this is over? You're saying like, do I see tours continuing at all? That we know will continue. You know, tour, you of course, live streaming. yeah, live streaming. You know, it, cause, because a lot of the bands have had success with the live streaming. Do you still see bands doing this even after I, this is over? I don't know because all the live streaming stuff that's come on, I haven't really, to be honest, paid attention to it. It's not something that that excites me. I, I just mm-hmm. uh, maybe it's because of the experience I've I have and I've been on tour and thing, but I I really didn't know that like how successful the live streams have been. Like I know that they've been happening but I don't know if they're going to continue to be a thing. I think I would think it's more of an alternative to, to obviously the situation that we're in, you know, I don't see, I don't see people wanting to continue to live stream a show playing into a room with nobody just for the fact of live streaming, you know, and um, all this, all this stuff about like drive in concerts to me, that's all just very far fetched. (laughs) And to me, I don't think it should even be, tried in my opinion but that's just my opinion i mean i doesn't yeah, interest yeah. me i wouldn't want anything to do with it i'd just be like dude let's just wait and let things clear up and let's just do this the right way is the way i would want to do it but that's okay i like asking that question because there's no wrong answer to that your answer yeah. is perfect because so many i can't i can't tell you how many bands i've asked this question because they don't know there's just so much uncertainty going forward we had beyond the black uh was it two weeks ago on the show and Jennifer Hobbin, the vocalist, she was telling me about the whole drive-in show that they did. Uh-huh. Uh, it was called Live Summer 2020. I don't know if you even heard about this. They did the, uh-huh. they did the show on the stage, and there were cars parked on the field. <laughs> Nobody could get out. Yeah. <laughs> but they did the show, and there's a the, there's a picture of them. You know, after the show, when they do the the whole band together, even the tour managers come on stage. They do the the with the fans. The whole picture. <laughs> they they did one, and it's just cars parked behind them. I thought that was just a very unique take on yeah. just, you know, just the position we're all in. And what uh, what genre was this band? The, uh, this is uh, symphonic metal, you know, and okay. you know, Code Orange. They did this. They were one of the first bands to do this. I'm sure you saw this. They did the uh, empty venue. I think this was two days after the pandemic was announced. They did right. the show in an empty venue in in uh, Pennsylvania and they broadcast it for the fans. Insomnium did it. Suicide Silence is doing the world tour right now. And Trivium is, has just done a live streaming for their fans. So, you know, it's just, but then I've, I have artists saying, okay, well, let's say, you know, there's a band performing overseas and someone in the States may not have access to that, you know, and they would sell a virtual ticket to them online and the fans could purchase and then tune in that way. That's always an option. I get that. But mm-hmm. that doesn't take away from the li- You just can't take anything away from the live experience. I, of course, I have the opportunity to mosh in my own room, you know, <laughs> if, if I wanted to. Yeah. That, that's great for a certain amount of time. But, you know, well, I, th- I, go ahead. I, no, I think that's part of the problem. Like you're saying, it's just like, well, it's not just 
that you want to see your band. It's an experience that, that there's a big gap there. You know, it's like you it doesn't matter if I'm there and the band's on the stage. I'm I'm not standing here. I'm not having a drink. I'm not moshing. I'm not front row. Whatever the case may be, there's a a very big gap there, and I think that is why it doesn't interest me. That's why I don't think it's going to be a thing in the future because there's nothing better than actually being there, you know? And, um, to me, if you can watch a YouTube video, that's almost, I mean, the same thing. We have access to, to so many different platforms right now. People want mm-hmm. to stream on Twitch. And I, I just don't think to be, to be honest, it sounds like a lot of trouble to have one of these live streams or uh, driving concert. It sounds like a lot of trouble. Like it sounds like people are being a little impatient, I guess. Um, but at the same time, I can understand, like, if they don't have anything else to focus on and this is, and they're the artist, well, damn, I'm pretty sure they're going to get bored, you know, so, or they're going to want to do things or they just have to be, they have to stay relevant. You know, if everyone else is doing a live stream and they're the only ones not doing it, well, I'm pretty sure people just have to make moves. So, you know, I can't say, but from my perspective, I'm just going to wait until we can actually do what, what everyone's waiting for, you know? Bro, we're in Texas. I think being impatient is like one of the things that are, that's been like <laughs> been the commonality within the last, what, two weeks or so. And I don't know where we're going to go from here. Texas, I thought we were doing okay at first. And now, yeah. you know, you see the position we're in. Absolutely. So we talked about concerts. What was your first concert ever? Uh, Kiss and Push Monkey in 1996 at the Alamo Dome. Oh my God, man. Yeah. Alamo Dome. That is a, le- okay. To me, that's a legendary venue just because you yeah. know, I'm, I'm a Spurs fan and the Spurs have played there and you know, it's, and then dang, getting to see just live acts like that. That's a, right. I mean, I don't think it's, it's hard to beat, you know, what are one of the biggest, what have you seen? What are one of the biggest changes in the metal rock scene you have noticed, you know, cause you've, cause you've, you know, fans like us in the industry and a lot of things have happened, shaped the industry in the last 15 years, you know, Facebook, Instagram happen, YouTube happen, but being on tours, that, that also changes your perspective, I presume, you know, what, what are the biggest changes you've seen as far as fans? Um, like between like the band and fan experience or bands in general or what? Bands and fan experience. I, I feel like you would have a, a, a bigger opinion on that interaction. Well, I, I think overall, um, first of all, it's kind of hard for me to, gauge things because i haven't gone to a show on my own as a fan like as a fan in a while because you're you, first of all you miss a lot of them because you're on tour so much and then whenever you're home you kind of don't want to do that so and typically when you go you're there to like more like meet up with a friend who invited you because they're on the tour so it's really hard to say because I'm, I'm kind of like clouded by the differences but i think it's just becoming very hard to survive and that's just really, I think as a whole, that's what's happening. Um, I think everybody is forced to do meet and greets if they don't like them and they're forced to get creative and here's a side stage version. Here's a backstage version. Here's a bus party version. And I think it's, it's cool that I, I think fans are getting closer to their, the bands they like mm-hmm. now more than ever because of what people are being forced to do but I think it's because bands are running out of options. You know, there's bands that like strictly are, I mean, the amount of money that they made from the meet and greets or the, you know, VIP experience is basically the only thing holding the tour up. And if that falls apart, then the whole tour wouldn't have even been profitable. And that's not the way it should be. I think people are 
more than ever taking music for granted and they don't want to pay 20 bucks for a ticket because the band is supporting and they're not headlining. So they're only going to play 30 minutes. So I just think this is the very, the era of complaints and people whining about everything, you know, um, there's just always something to complain about, you know? So I, I think people are, are taking music for granted. And I, I just think bands more than ever are struggling. I would say that's honestly the biggest change I've seen in the last probably decade, you know? Yeah. I feel like that part of the platform just gets, it can get very uh, black and white because you don't know if it's, if it's the right thing to do or, you know, how is a band going to go about this? Especially a band that's, you know, new into this whole thing, you know, just coming up and yeah, for themselves. And I, it's just very competitive, especially the way how supply and demand goes as well, you know? And yeah. I wanted to ask, well, before I go there, because you've seen black metal musicians you know, in this genre, they try to stay mysterious. I've seen a lot of these black metal bands. They don't, they almost don't do any interviews, almost don't do any interaction. with. <laughs> you've seen yeah. that, you know, they kind of just yeah. like to stay mysterious. I feel like every, almost every band will have to just go that route. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I actually worked, I worked with so many black metal bands. I mean, than I ever thought I would, it was like a string of black metal bands and or or crossover bands for like two straight years of me almost you know it was belfagor and dark funeral and then yeah. cryptops is more death metal but it was like i ended up in this whole underground scene um and it was just seemed like every tour i did venom inc which is like the other version of the classic venom you know um so yeah it was just like really just not somewhere i ended up i thought i'd be but i ended up there and like I didn't mind it. I mean, I thought the shows were cool and uh, I didn't, had no problems. I mean, going into like a tour like Belfagor and um, all these guys, Dark Funeral, and you hear all these people like, oh, watch out, man. Like, I heard those guys are crazy. And it's like, <laughs> the way I go into every tour is like, well, I kind of try to go in with an open mind. And it's like, well, let's just see how they treat me. You know, maybe they had a reputation of doing something 10 years ago and that's kind of like stuck with them forever. But I haven't really had any problems with these, you know, with black metal bands or anything. Everyone's been super cool, man. It's just, uh, I never even thought I'd work with some of these people. And they're some of the most talented people in the business too. They, I've shown, I've said dedication to the crab. They're one of the people who do it with really well when it comes to black metal musicians and just that right. genre and, within himself. Yeah. When you say dedication too, that's another word. Like when it comes to Belfagor, I mean, they may not be the biggest band in the world. I mean, I'd never even heard of Belfagor until I got the tour, put it that way. I was like, I don't know who that is, but like they have a cool logo and a cool image. Let's do the tour. And uh, I actually ended up liking the music a lot, but more important, I can tell how, how much, how serious they took it, how much it meant to them and how much their fans meant to them because they complained a lot about um, the quality of the, the printing here, as far as shirts and hoodies go, mm -hmm. they were like, Europe is so much better. This is like garbage. I don't sell this to my fans, you know, like, and I was like, damn, like this guy cares a lot. So cares so much that, I mean, he, he turned away. Like we, we needed these hoodies really, really bad. Like, and we got them rushed delivered by the company themselves in a van. And he didn't like the quality and sent like, he was like, take them away. Like he picked out like 40 good hoodies and it was like, I don't want these. Like I'm going to find another company because this is garbage. Like, I mean, I think he should, I think the fans would have bought him either way. But my, my point is that like, he did not want his fans buying bad products. And it's just small things like that, that I mean, that I've seen that like black metal bands and Belfagor specifically, like 
they really like care about what they do. They really care about the show. They put a lot of effort into it and it's just a big deal to them. They're definitely dedicated. Have your aspirations as a person or as a tour manager, have they changed or evolved since when you first started in the industry? Do you see things differently now? Mm. Um, I see a lot of, uh, the more people you're exposed to, I guess, the more you see how, start to see different angles of things. You know, you, you start to see like some people who are, have the best gig ever and they're complaining, you know, like I said, man, this is just like the era of where people can, they can complain. I mean, even if they yeah. not complaining to the person next to you, they're complaining on Facebook or whatever, you know? So it's like, I think people take stuff for granted, you know? Um, so if anything, I, my goals have become even bigger, you know, I, I want to be working for arena level bands, you know, um, that's Definitely. my goal, you know, whether it's going to happen or not. I mean, this put like a huge, like, I mean, <laughs> bump in the road, man. It's like, well, I was on my way there working. I was going to plan on working with this band. We were going to do another Amana Marth tour by the end of this year. And by the time this all rolls back around to being um, back on track, I don't know how many of those gigs are going to be there. And it was kind of like a steady climb, you know, like I was steadily working my way up to, you know, not necessarily always bigger bands, but bands that, you know, take care of their crew better or whatever the case may be, you know? So I'd say like, if anything, I, you know, I have, I still have, I have bigger goals to work with bigger bands, you know, but I've also realized, you know, it may not be possible, but you know, I've seen people who are working for, like I said, for, they have a really good gig and they're still not happy. So I, I don't know, man, it's a lot of this is, is, is luck in a way being at the right time type type thing. And, um, it's also a mix of skill and who you know. It's 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 all it's a lot of things that factor into it. Yeah, you pretty much covered the entire thing. And you know, another thing that I've, I think about this a lot too, oversaturation of the market because a lot of these bands are going to be itching to go back out on tour, right? Has that right. ever crossed your mind? You know, all these bands are trying to book this venue, this venue, this venue, and oh, yeah. at the same time, these venues, some of them are getting shut down. You know, there are bands around here in Dallas right. that, you know you know, bands and venues in, here in Dallas who are trying to get booked and, tr and trying to get a show done or trying to get something going. And, and some right. of these venues have shut down. So I always wonder what's going to happen if, you know, some bands are just going to not be lucky and they won't be able to book a show because they're not big enough, you know, when all right. this is over. That's yeah, always that's something, something to think about. I mean, yeah, I, I've mentioned to, like I said, a friend of mine too, that I was just like, dude, it's not just going to, it's not just going to resume. First of all, the virus isn't something that just ends in a day. You know, it's going to take time to end. And like, let's say for some reason, hypothetically, it ended tomorrow or next week. And we're like, okay, touring can resume. You have any idea how many people need to go back to their jobs first before mm -hmm. we can even do anything? All the bus drivers are need to get back to their bus companies. All the buses need to start doing maintenance again. All the booking agents need to start making sure they have tours booked all the travel agents, all of the crew need to, well, like, are you available? It doesn't just happen. You know, I mean, it's, that's why I'm not focusing on like, when are we going to tour? Because it doesn't matter. I mean, even if the, we're, we're very far away from that. And even if, like I said, if the virus ended tomorrow, touring doesn't resume the next day, you know, um, like you said, venues are going to be booked like crazy. Everything that was booked for 2020 and 2021, everyone's going to be fighting over all these venues. Now there's even less venues, even less staff. 
I mean, less crew members or whatever the case may be. I, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a like scramble to be honest, you know, people mm-hmm. are going to be trying to do whatever, but um, I think the first, you know, the, the bigger bands probably did the smart thing and they basically rebooked the exact same dates for 2021 yep. rather than moving it to like, Oh, we can't do it in August of this year. Let's move it to November. No, they just moved it like a whole year. That just makes more sense. You know, I mean, if they can't do it a year from now, well, I can't blame them. A year was kind of a lot of time to, to do a rescheduling. You know, I think it was like a corn tour and um, I can't remember breaking Benjamin, a bunch of those bands. They just basically moved it same dates a year later, which that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. And I, I think Deptones go Jerry did that and uh, Trivium and Megadeth. They moved it boat yeah. shows to, I think around the same time frame they were going to have right. it slated for the summer just to next summer. Yeah. And I always think about that because it, and I get worried, you know, with, you know, with, with people like you, because you guys are affected by this too. And, and there's just no saying on what's going to happen. There's no timetable. Okay. Steven has this tour. Okay. Just move this tour next year. And then Steven can pick it back up. It's, it's not right. that simple. Yeah, I, I exactly. And I think uh, nobody should expect to be entitled or have any gig held for them. I mean, this is something I don't think anybody ever saw happening, whether, you know, however you're involved with the industry. Um, it doesn't even seem real still. So I, I just don't think, I think people should be understanding that things are going to change. And if some other crew member comes in and takes your gig, well, dude, who knows? I mean, I don't know what the reason is behind it, but when it comes back to it and gigs, like, I think I'm just going to be grateful for any, anything that comes my way, you know? So we talked about a lot of tours. Do you have a crazy tour story you can mention here? You don't have to mention the band, but something at the top of your head. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, probably the, like I told you, I started with Shattered Sun. Yeah. So I did. I think that's awesome that you started with them. I had no idea. That's pretty awesome. Because I remember yeah, seeing it. Yeah, I did. And uh, I, mean, my, I mean, my cousin is in the band. So I mean, I have family in the band. So I'm, And I grew up with half those guys. So I Whoa. mean, I we went to school together. I mean, so it's like, I'm never not going to know them, you know, and, um, Mark, they, have, they, the have, they have to come on the show now. They have to. Yeah. <laughs> this, uh, I don't know if you know, but the singer joined El Nino now. So he's in El Nino. No way. I had no idea. Yeah. So El Nino had a split and, uh, I mean, long story short, I guess you could say, I mean, three went this way and three went the other way. So three of them kept the name and then Marcus is in the new El Nino along with the old guitarist of Upon a Burning Body and the guitarist of Sons of Texas are in El Nino. Wow. Yeah. I actually, I know both of those bands. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, um, that, that was in the news maybe a few months ago and it was a big old deal and uh, they're already writing music and um, yeah, everything's kind of moving forward. The singer from El Nino, the original uh, started doing his own solo project and everything. So um, yeah, that, that thing's done. But um, anyway, like, yeah, it's just crazy to see how far, you know, we've all come. I mean, I was going to school with these guys and doing local shows at VFW. So as, as a lot of bands were, but we just never thought we'd make it out, to be honest. Um, but um, yeah, I did a few tours with them. And at one point, because of money reasons and like the band, first of all, really couldn't even afford a crew. Like it was kind of like they were kind of doing they were, they were kind of trying to do things a little, they, they went a little all out because management kind of said, oh, you got to have a crew to look professional or if not, you're going to, 
not look professional, but there was no money to be made. I mean, the amount of money that the band was making as a support band was nothing to like barely even cover. I mean, the minimal expenses. So there was definitely no room to be paying crew. So, mm. you know, some disagreements happened and I was just like, well, I don't think that this next tour that you're going to do, I don't think, which was actually ironically the El Nino tour. They did a tour with El Nino and I was like, I don't think I'm going to go, man. Like, I just think it's for what I'm getting paid versus my job duties. I, I, I'm starting to worry about money. I just think I'm going to find another way to either find another tour or find another job at this time. Not necessarily quit touring, but I needed, I knew that tour wasn't for me. So I got a text message, I guess, I think from, uh, I don't know if you know Roger Smith. He's another tour manager. He lives in Houston, actually. I think he um, just, uh, did he just uh, do Overkill? Yeah, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, d I do know him. Yeah, so he, I mean, he was one of the first guys I, I ever met. And when I was talking about earlier about people who care, that, I don't, that was one of the only, that guy's the number one guy who's taught me everything. Uh, the second tour I ever did was uh, Soulfly, Soil Work. It was supposed to be decapitated, but wow. they didn't make it. And Shattered Sun. So Roger was tour managing um, Soil Work, and I was tour managing Shattered Sun. And he pretty much taught me everything I wanted to know, man. He was showing me lights, showing me how to properly settle a show, giving me advice. I mean, that dude has done more for me than anybody else has in the industry. So that's cool that you know who he is, because, yeah, he just did Overkill. That, that tour got cut short, but that's what the one he was doing. Um, but anyway, he called me about a tour for um, – I don't think it really matters anymore because uh, the band's basically broken up for the most part. It was uh, American Head Charge. And oh, uh, wow. yeah, one, of, one of my favorite bands, honestly, ever. And I was just like, I mean, yeah, of course I'm going to do it. But um, the band was very uh, unstable and their, you know, careers have kind of been unstable. So it was, it was very, uh, it was, it was my first time. My point is that it was my first time doing a tour without my friends, you know, so things weren't so comfortable. You know, if you've known a guy for half your life, it's pretty easy to, uh, you know, work with them for the most part, you know, you know how to mm -hmm. talk to them and you're not afraid to whatever. So this is my first time doing a tour by myself and it was uh, American Head Charge and Motor Grader as support. And I was just like, oh man, like this is gonna be a lot of work. Um, I guess it, I guess it was kind of like the whole, the tour as a whole was was difficult because we were traveling in this shuttle so to speak i guess you could say it was actually like a uh like a medical shuttle like i guess whenever like there's some kind of emergency maybe i don't know because you walked into the shuttle and it had a bunch of tables and chairs and you couldn't move them they were stationary and then it had two bunks in the back and the bunks were crappy so i don't, I don't really know what the vehicle was used for but i know it was like a me medical shuttle so we had to basically for, and the tour was six weeks long Gosh. and I had to sleep standing up or, or sitting up, you know, with my head against this glass window that every time we hit a bump, I mean, the, the window just, you know, you couldn't get comfortable. And so there's these two seats, you know, imagine if you're sitting at a table, there's two seats on this side, a stationary table, two seats on that side, but it's not a bench. They're bucket seats. So it's not like you can lay down and it's going to be a flat surface. It's a bucket seat to where it's, you know, it's kind of yeah, like, you kind of like just sink indention. in. Yeah, so it's got an indention. So if you're going to lay across these two bucket seats, you're going to have this point <laughs> literally on your back. 
or on your side or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention, two of these seats only cover the top half of my body. So I guess if you really wanted to, you could lay across four of them because there was a halt, but there was an aisle in the middle. So <laughs> I mean, it just didn't make sense. Gosh. So I mean, I mean, it just didn't make sense. So we basically the whole, I mean, there was only enough. There was only two bunks, and one of them was super high. Like you needed a literally a ladder or like a really skinny small guy to jump up there. So there was really only one bunk and enough some floor space. Um, so it was like you're, you're sitting up for six weeks. I mean, for six, you know, six weeks, I did this tour sleeping, sitting up and it was just the most uncomfortable thing. Um, the, the drummer, uh, took his dog on the tour, which is a full, full grown pit bull, you know, and then like gets mad at me for knocking over the dog bowl, the water bowl. And I'm like, well, dude, like, I mean, what do you expect me to do? This is, I mean, it's a traveling vehicle, dude. And you have your pit bull on the road with us, you know, like, I don't know. It just was a really bad setup. You know, the guys were trying to, you know, get off drugs and some of them were still on drugs and it was a mess, dude. I mean, we, yeah, it was just a mess. I mean, the shows were, were, were very, very bad. I mean, there was some shows where there was 12 people there. Um, and I was kind of just like, man, this sucks, you know? And, uh, to this day, that's probably the hardest band I've ever worked for, worked with. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was a scary tour. Uh, their manager was pretty crazy and was always calling me at any hour of the day, expecting me to pick up the phone. I'm talking four or five in the morning because he lived in a different country. And for him, it was daytime. But for me, it was four in the morning. And it just, it scarred me, dude. It really did. I mean, it scarred me to the point where I was such a fan of these of this band that I had them, I printed out a bunch of posters and I had them sign them. And I, for like two years, I couldn't even take the posters out of the tube. I didn't even want to look at them. You know, like I didn't want to even look at the, at the autographs, you know, because they, they wrote some stuff on there. Like, thanks for the tour. Like, thanks for all your help. But things got really bad, you know, like following that tour, like they ended up, you know, separating from their manager and they were trying to sue him. And then they were trying to, it was just accusations flying everywhere. So that's probably the, craziest tour i've ever done for the sake of just like it was just a, a bunch of chaos man it was a really bad experience but probably the tour that taught me the most to this day well let me reverse things up for you what's the most re rewarding part of your job um i guess uh it's hard to answer too i mean i don't want to take this thing for granted anymore but i mean i i guess just being it being able to say that i do this you know i mean i don't know how many times i've I've gotten messages from people that are like, how'd you get your job, man? And how'd you, I mean, how do you do this? And I mean, to be honest, sometimes like, especially when you're at the merch table or something and like people come up asking these questions, it's like, damn dude, like it's really hard to explain the same thing about 50 times, you know, like, cause I've definitely told these stories a lot, but you know, I mean, dude, not even six, seven years ago, right before I started doing this. I mean, that was me wondering how to do those jobs you know, and wondering how those people survived and being like, dude, all these guys eat his pizza all the time. And like, I guess just being able to, to say that regardless of what happens from now that I, that I did it, you know, because all those questions that people have, I can answer them for myself through experience, you know? So just to say that I've done it, regardless of whether I didn't make it to arena level or not. I mean, the fact that I've done it is a big deal for me because I've been going to concerts since I was seven years old i mean that, i think yeah. i went to go see kiss when i was seven 
And, uh, you know, I went to go see Rob Zombie when I was 10. I mean, all sorts of, like, I mean, I've been going to, to concerts that long. So to be able to see the inside stuff is, is very rewarding. Um, and it's very personal to me. Is it worth it? Say it again. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's, uh, gotta ask, gotta drop the million dollar question in there. <laughs> it's been a lot of work, dude. Yeah. yeah. It's been, like, I mean, a lot of people, um, like I said, going broke, like during the years of like 16 and 17, end of 15, like that whole, I mean, a lot of people would have just given up because that that's when you get put to the test, you know, it's like, well, are you going to go find a tour or are you just going to sit around and wait? And I don't know how many people have said like, oh, dude, I want to get into touring. Like, how do I get into touring? And I tell them more or less how to do it. And then an opportunity comes their way and they're like, oh, bro, like, I can't do that, man. Like, I, I got a job, man. I would have to quit. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, either you're going to do it or you're not. If you're already saying, oh, yeah, I can't get the time off from work. This isn't for you, man. Like, it, it takes leaps like that to make it happen. It takes, you know, it takes a long time you know, for people to even look at you and be like, are you capable? You know, are you going to do this? I mean, it's a lot of networking and it's a lot of work, man. And like, that's what I'm saying. Like people that get the opportunity, they say they want to tour. They, they don't really want to tour or if they do, they don't, they're not serious about it. Man, Steven, that was, uh, I mean, you covered it perfectly right there because so many experiences can be taken left and right and that you have your, struggles along with the successes and i just think all that comes together and yeah i i, I think it, it is worth it you know because the hard work that you put into where you are right now you know that what that shattered sun tour six or seven years ago where you yeah. quit your job and then took your van and then just drove to california you can't you can't <laughs> yeah. you don't, nobody just does that you know yeah. and i think that's that's great that you did that and i think it's uh, just shows how much hard work it goes into putting the work you're in and again, you know, we covered so many things and, you know, we're, we're running out of time here, but before we finish up here, you know, did you have anything new that you were working on that you'd like for my listeners to know about, like any shout outs, any plugs, anything you want to mention? Um, not really, man. I'm just grateful for the, you know, the people who have, have, have taught me what they've taught me and have spent the time to, uh, you know, put my name out there, put me on tours and, uh, vouch for me really you know i mean like i said a lot of this is networking and a lot of this is word of mouth and knowing people and if you're just some crappy tour guy who's just ruining everyone's time and not happy about it like i said man there's so many people who are like man this tour sucks and all that stuff i mean good luck getting a recommendation you know on an attitude like that so yeah, you'll be, yeah. hey you'll be remembered for that too <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Just saying. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I'm just, you know, thankful for all the bands that have given me jobs and all, all the managers and, like I said, all the other crew members who have, have put my name out there, man. I mean, I, a lot of this is from my experience and, and what I'm capable of and my my skills, but a lot of it, too, is, is people standing up for you and fighting for you and putting your name out there, man. Yeah, and I think at a time like this, I think standing up for each other is what we need and we'll need it even more going forward after all this is over. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Steve, man, thanks so much. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you for dropping by to just talk about everything you did and then some. Um, hopefully absolutely. we'll see each other again. I know we'll see each other again in the near future in person. We'll 
do another, maybe we'll do another follow up to this and see how things are on the other side. Yeah, know? absolutely, man. I'm down for it whenever, man. Um, obviously, I'll be available. <laughs> yeah, and everyone, going on right now. everyone, this is Steve Garcia, tour manager, one of the best ones out there. Uh, just stay tuned. We'll have more Deep Cuts episode for you down the road. Steve, thanks again, man. I'll talk to you next time, bro. All right, man. Thanks a lot, man. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Interview Under Fire podcast. If you guys liked what you heard, please subscribe and share our channel. And please leave a five-star review as that helps us tremendously. And also, if you guys have any questions or comments, you can find us at Interview Under Fire at Facebook or at Instagram. Or you can write us directly at schwag at interviewunderfire.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-G at interviewunderfire.com. Or Rezablade, that's R-E-Z-A-B-L-A-D-E at interviewunderfire.